0: welcome our first-time listeners and thank our repeat listeners for their time today. We know that you have many choices in listening to the Word of God, and we're honored that you chose us. Hello, my name is Pastor Mike Letterman. It's a beautiful day in the Lord today. Our lesson today comes from the book of Hebrews. Let's start with a quick history of the book and set the background. One of the earliest statements on the authorship of Hebrews seems to be from Clement of Alexandria, who said that Paul wrote it in Hebrew and Luke translated it into Greek. Clement of Alexandria was born in 150 AD and passed away roughly around 215 AD. He was a Christian theologian and philosopher and knowledgeable in biblical records and research of his time. Bible teachers and commentators alike believe that Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews without attaching his name to it because the original readers knew him and they would have recognized his style of writing. Therefore, for them, there was no formal introduction necessary. Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews to encourage Jewish members of the church to maintain their faith in Jesus Christ and the new covenant and not to return to their former ways of the old law. At this time, they were incorporating some of the old law beliefs into practice under the new law of the resurrected Christ. Churches in that time were really no different than churches today. There were some arguments and different beliefs, especially between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians were circling back to circumcision as a requirement and forbidding others to associate with the uncircumcised Gentiles. At one point, they even chided Paul for eating at the house of the Gentiles because they were unclean. We already know that Paul was not a man, a few words, and he rebuked them for their belief. The Jewish Christians wanted to take part in the old law, a law of the Old Testament, and try to wrap our Christianity around it. Sometimes, even today, people want to take that that's already known to them and recognizable and incorporate it into what they see before them. But this is wrong when it violates God's will. That's part of the reason that Paul wrote the epistle to Hebrews. The fallacy in their thinking is fully demonstrated because Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Law, which if you read the Old Testament closely, it continually points to the coming of Jesus Christ or the Messiah, which is to come and actually starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is a very important verse and one that I want you to note. God said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I want you to remember this verse very clearly, as it's the first prophecy and the foreshadowing of things to come in the Bible. Words can have different meanings depending on the context in which they're used and how they're converted from one language to another. Here, the first word, bruise, has a slightly different meaning. In the Hebrew language, the word the original translators converted into English as bruise is a word that means crushed. This is not merely breaking the skin, but rather a break internally that has injured or destroyed a vital internal organ. This is the first messianic promise in the Bible and points directly to Jesus Christ, who will destroy Satan's tyranny as the prince of this world forever. It's also a promise from God to Adam and Eve. Someday, your enemy will be repaid for his temptation. Your seed will someday crush the head of that evil serpent, Satan. How angry Satan must have been. He spent many centuries plotting diabolical schemes to keep the Son of God from being born. And once he was born, he tried every way to divert God's pure Son, part of the Trinity, to sin and break the covenant God made for his people. I thank God and praise him for his enduring love and his tender mercy and for his son Jesus Christ. I think you're starting to understand my point. From the beginning, God never intended for any of us to go to hell. Instead, he set up this wonderful plan where the blood of atonement through Jesus Christ would save us. God's plan contains forgiveness through the blood And all we must do is accept the forgiveness, redemption, and then the atonement that he offers. Okay, let's move on. I want you to write down the verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's important. Hebrews is a wonderful book of the Bible. And today our lesson primarily revolves around one scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I'll give you a moment to find it. If you don't have your Bible, listen closely and I will read it. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. In this verse, the writer says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I want you to also note that this promise is given in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor, or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You'll see a lot of this in Hebrews. There's a consistent referral to the Old Covenant in the New Testament and the New Covenant in the Old Testament. It compares commonality and yet differentiates between the old and the new. What's the primary differentiation? The answer is simple. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. No, that doesn't mean we're supposed to ditch the Old Testament, although some denominations believe it is now of little value and more just a history lesson. Far from it. True, we're no longer under the old law. The death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus did away with the old law ceremonies and blood sacrifices in the Old Testament. We have no need for blood sacrifices any longer. The pure, untainted blood of Jesus Christ is the blood for atonement of all mankind from Adam to the end of the age and the focal point for our forgiveness. Think of the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yes, there were earthquakes and all kinds of supernatural events. The dead climbed from their graves and walked again. However, one of these was that the veil of the temple was ripped in two. Let's talk about the veil for a moment, if you haven't heard it described. The veil is colored blue at one end and red at the other end, blending into purple in the middle. Blue is for the heavens. Red was for the red earth. Purple was the perfect blend of the two. These colors represented Christ, the God-man, who is the only door to God. The temple veil was the thickness of a man's hand embroidered with figures of cherubim like those Ezekiel saw guarding God's throne. The veil was also a picture of death whereby we enter the presence of God. When Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom. If the earthquake that happened at Jesus' death had ripped the curtain, it would have been torn from the bottom upward as the earth separated. But the invisible hands of God reached down and removed this barrier himself, tearing it from top to bottom. Now, no earthly priest is required or needed to beg for our forgiveness. Anyone may enter God's presence by way of Jesus' blood which was shed to pay the wages of our sins, as in Romans six twenty-three. This signified the old law was gone and the new covenant was established. I use these biblical props today to demonstrate how God's plan has always been for mankind to be saved and the depth in which he is willing to go to offer us the gift of forgiveness. A few nights ago, I was reading the Bible, studying some seminary notes on evangelism and praying for guidance on what topic I would speak on today, and the answer came to me. It's on the subject of forgiveness and acceptance by faith. I think one of the more difficult aspects of being a Christian is the way we are taught to approach the subject of forgiveness. When I say this sentence in a live environment, it usually gets a little quiet in the audience. I mean, let's be honest here. Almost every Christian will struggle with the subject of forgiveness in their lifetime. What does it mean to you to forgive someone? Sometimes it depends on the transgression, right? It's easier to forgive someone for something small than something large. Someone bumps into your new motorcycle and knocks it on its side. Having owned motorcycles a good part of my my younger life and survived it. I can assure you that's a problem. Then to your surprise, instead of being belligerent, they get out of the car apologizing. You're furious, but then you hear the four kids in the back seat arguing, the mother screaming, and you start to wonder how this guy keeps his sanity, let alone drive. The bike isn't really hurt, and you forgive him, thankful your children are beyond that stage in their life. Poor man. Yeah, it's easy to have hard feelings, but it's an accident. You forgive him, and now you pray for him daily because he has a huge load to carry, Maybe you can even relate to it. Then there's also the other extreme. As an example only, let's assume your parents are older and live a state away. They are conned and deceived by relatives they trust. They start to take control of your parents' lives. These relatives refuse to communicate with you on medical issues. In fact, they refuse to call you at all. You're blocked on social media and often on their phone. They sell your parents' cars and other items and put the money in a, quote, bank account, end quote. Your parents allow it because they're older. You try to caution your parents to be careful of their trust and hold these relatives accountable. You try to help your parents and pick up the loose ends because these other relatives don't always get them the care they need. And every other day, something comes up to remind you of that old hurt and the worry for your parents. How do you deal with that? The answer is, you can't, at least not alone. It's going to take time and a lot of prayer to God about your feelings, and yes, deliberate prayer for these individuals that God will work in their lives and turn them back to him. You are not responsible for their behavior, and there's nothing you can do that will change it. Pray for them and pray for yourself. And yes, you are entitled to your feelings. You are human. And when someone hurts us emotionally or physically or ones that we love, we remember. I remember when a certain friend of mine, I'll call him Fred, kicked my favorite dog as a child. I threw rocks at Fred for a month afterwards. (laughs) Yes, I finally forgave him, but it took a while. And it also gave him a few bruises in the process. But as you can see, I never really forgot it. Neither did he. Did I forgive him? Sure. I loved that dog. And truth be told, I really liked Fred. But it did take a while. As a friend of mine once said to me, Pastor, I forgive him, but I'm not going to be a doormat. Many Christians today move to the point where the transgression no longer brings us emotional pain. And then perhaps we can forgive. Sometimes praying for the transgressor really helps. And when you pray, you don't have to pray for worldly possessions for them. The Bible says we're to pray for something higher. We're to pray that the Spirit of God will descend on them and they will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if they have turned away from the Lord Jesus, they will will turn back to him again. It does not mean they will ultimately get away with the wrong they have done you or your parents. God will handle their retribution, and it may come in this world or in the next. The Bible says, I will repay, saith the Lord. One of my favorite biblical characters is Peter. In Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22, Matthew says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I give my brother sin against me, and I will forgive him? How oft? shall my brother sin against me, and I will forgive him till seven times? Jesus said to him, I say not to you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. To fully understand what Jesus was saying, we must look at the context of the whole chapter, for Jesus was speaking not only about forgiving one another, but about Christian character, both in and out of church. The admonition to forgive our brother 70 times 7 follows jesus's discourse on discipline in the church in which he lays down the rules for restoring a sinning brother peter was wishing to appear especially forgiving benevolent asked jesus if forgiveness was to be offered seven times the jewish rabbis at that time taught that forgiving someone more than three times was unnecessary if you look at Amos chapter one, verses three through thirteen, where God forgave Israel's enemies three times and then punished them. By offering forgiveness more than double that of the Old Testament example, Paul might have expected some extra commendation from the Lord. When Jesus responded that forgiveness should be offered four hundred and ninety times, far beyond that which Peter was proposing, it must have stunned the disciples who were listening. While they'd been with Jesus for some time, they were still thinking in limited terms of the old law, rather than the unlimited terms of grace. By saying we are to forgive those who sin against us 70 times 7, Jesus was not limiting forgiveness to 490 times, a number that is for all practical purposes beyond counting. Christians with forgiving hearts not only do limit the number of times they forgive, they continue to forgive with as much grace the thousandth time as they do the first time. Christians are only capable of this type of forgiving spirit because the Spirit of God lives within us, and it is He who provides the ability to offer forgiveness over and over, just as God forgives us over and over. Preacher, I'll forgive him, but I can't erase the memory you didn't. No, I didn't erase the memory of Fred, but I did forgive him. One thing you need to keep in mind is that preachers, pastors, and deacons are born under the same sin of Adam. All of mankind suffers. We go to seminary, we study, we spread the word of God, but if you're worshiping the preacher, you're worshiping the wrong entity. Worship God. A good pastor or preacher must decrease so that God can increase. Let's move forward. God not only forgives, but he also forgets and no longer remembers the sin. No longer remembers the sin. He wipes the slate clean. This state of forgetfulness is consistent throughout the Bible. Micah 7.19 indicates the same thing. You will have, excuse me, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. This is important. When we ask for forgiveness, God forgives and remembers no more. When you become a Christian, you are given a direct link to God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When you ask for forgiveness, God doesn't pull out his holy abacus, hum to himself and say, Okay, I will forgive you for that cursed word just one more time. But if you ask for God's forgiveness and resolve to turn away from sin, God will forget your transgressions and He will help you. But you must be ready to help yourself. I want to share you, with you a story about a friend of mine. I've known him my entire life. He's a good man and a proud patriot. He accepted our nation's call and volunteered to serve. He was highly intelligent, young, and pretty idealistic. He served O'Connor's outside the continental United States for almost two years as a sniper and intelligence operator on the ground. He once confided in me he knew his kill score was at least 65 before he fought his last battle. His first three kills happened within split seconds of each other. One of them was a young boy, he guessed was about 13. He had an AK-47 submachine gun my friend was 22 years old the boy swung the submachine gun toward my friend and another member of his team my friend killed him with one shot from a coat 1911 45. he carried these memories and the guilt associated with them for a long time he did his best to block out as much of these terrible things he saw and did as he possibly could he was a christian and constantly asked himself how a Christian could do the things he was called to do and do them so well. He worked in the black ops world where there were no rules of engagement. If they have a weapon, shoot them. He asked God to forgive him, and logic told him that if he asked, God would do so. But he never seemed to be able to separate his good deeds to protect our nation from the reality of the things that he saw and did. Allow me to stop here for a moment. Television and the media do a great job of portraying the warrior side of our servicemen and women. There's also a very human side to these brave individuals that television doesn't often show. Often the scars you don't see are the scars on the inside. These are the scars that cause them to instinctively duck when a helicopter passes over. These are the scars that cause them to wake up in the middle of the night, with a call sign on their lips, and the memory of taking another human life again and again and again. My friend was not a wimp, far from it. And to make matters worse, God was calling him to be a minister. He wrestled with God's calling and his sins. The dying voice of that thirteen year old boy called to him sometimes in the middle of the night. Why did he not let go and simply accept the forgiveness that was offered to him by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? Why? The answer is simple, my friends. Guilt clouded his faith. And although he could not see it at the time, his lack of the full acceptance of God's forgiveness left him isolated from the direction and the service to which God called him. Finally, he had a conversation with an old friend of his from high school. His friend had been a minister, an evangelist, since the age of 14. They talked for quite some time, and my friend was finally able to tell the evangelist the last part of his story. The evangelist asked him, Are you a Christian? My friend immediately replied in the affirmative, Yes, I am. Then the evangelist asked him, Did you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Redeemer? This time my friend also gave an emphatic yes. The evangelist smiled and got to the point. He could tell by the tone of his friend's voice that he had indeed accepted Christ. Do you believe the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover all sin? My friend replied, absolutely. The evangelist paused for a moment, valuing the years of friendship between them, and said, no, you don't. You think the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover sin for everyone except you the two years you served and the things you did for your country and its people served a greater good look at your bible the israelites fought battle after battle in the name of god and god helped them the evangelist continued here's your answer you were forgiven before you ever took your first shot and then you wore god out day after day month after month and year after year by asking him for something he had already freely given through the blood of his son, Jesus. My brother, I love you, but you have allowed Satan to lay this guilt before you. But the greater sin is that you refuse to accept, you refuse to accept the forgiveness that was already there. You have allowed this guilt and the lack of acceptance to come between you and God's purpose for you in your life he has forgiven you. Now you must learn to accept his forgiveness and forgive yourself. You didn't earn it by anything you did or didn't do in that jungle or rainforest where you served. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Wow. Do you see what my friend finally understood? He had allowed guilt to influence his ability to accept the forgiveness God had already given him so many years ago. He had come full circle. How often do we carry guilt, even after we've asked God for forgiveness? Sometimes we carry it a long time. For some people, it could last a lifetime. You see, forgiveness and acceptance is like a circle. Did you know that in mathematics and quantum physics, there's nothing more pure than a complete circle with no beginning and no end? Here's the circle. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. But true acceptance is a two-step process. As part of acceptance, we have to forgive ourselves. We must forget our guilt the same way God forgets our sin. So let's refer back to our opening verse, Hebrews Chapter 8, verse 12, where the writer says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. I would like to ask you something today. Do you have some deep, dark secret that only you and God know? Have you asked God for forgiveness? Have you truly accepted God's forgiveness and have you forgiven yourself? Is your guilt and the enemy keeping you from moving forward in your life with God? Think carefully about your answers, because eternity is only a breath away. When you become a Christian and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. As you move on through your Christian life and confess your sin, asking God to help you, God remembers it no more. Well, preacher, I can't remember everything I do in life. What if I forget one? Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. In 1 John 2.1, we read that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. And from Hebrews 7.25, we learn that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Do you see the common thread? The common thread is Jesus. What more can you ask? As a Christian, when God looks at you covered in the blood of Jesus, he can no longer see your sin. All he sees is the pure, untainted blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. If you've never given your life to Christ, I urge you to do so now. There is no time like the present. If you're already a Christian and need help to understand God's plan of forgiveness, please come. Luke 15.10 says that in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you don't know how to come, you don't know how to recite this little prayer after me. No, prayers don't have to be eloquent lines of poetry. They just have to come from your heart and in your words. You can talk to God just like you would talk to me. If you've not been saved or if you want to rededicate your life, if you can where you are, bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus. I believe Jesus took my sins to the cross with him and became a sacrifice for me. I believe he died for my sins and rose from the dead father i turn away from my sins and i pray lord you will come into my heart and my life i want to trust and follow you as my lord and savior please send me the gift of the holy spirit to live in me i pray this in the holy name of your son jesus amen if you made a decision today or if you have questions i'd like to know please email me at ministry at christ-lives.org. That's M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y, ministry at christ-lives.org. If you need prayers, please email me. I take this very seriously, and I believe it's an honor to pray for you. This concludes our lesson for today. May God bless you. This is Peter Searson, pastor of New Song Baptist Church in Columbia, Tennessee. And I'd like to invite you as we look at God's Word every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock here on WXRQ. Hey, a big shout out to Bruce Whitwell over in Mount Joy, Tennessee. Thank you, Bruce, for listening to WXRQ in Mount Pleasant. I'd like to invite you to tune in every Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. to the program Thus Saith the Lord sponsored by the Central Church of Christ at 305 First Avenue North Speaker Danny Douglas If you'd like to join them in person they meet every Sunday morning for Bible study at 9.30 a.m. Worship is at 10.30 Sunday evenings 5 o'clock and Wednesday nights at 6.30 Everyone is welcome to join them in their worship service he is our God. A foreign land He's always there To lend a helping hand It's just like God A love get someone Deserved Every prayer I whisper Is heard It's just like God Among the galaxies Among the stars His greatest creation to you are It's a God thing all hope is gone Just to nick of time His mercy comes alone It's a God thing When a sinner breaks the tears is the broken heart and all the sinful years It's the reason why I sing It's a God thing